welcome to Pod Rocket. Um, my name is Noel. Um, today I am joined by Arpit Mohan, who is the co-founder and CTO of AppSmith. How's it going, Arpit? Uh, hi, Noel. Uh, super excited to be here. I'm very well and uh, glad to be talking with you today. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, so um, I know we kind of we kind of start wherever you think that makes the most sense, but uh, just tell us a little bit about you and your background to, to get us rolling. Right. Um, so uh, I'm a engineer. I'm a software engineer. That's how I uh, end up defining myself. And uh, so I've been working professionally in the industry for about, God, has it been 13 years now? Uh, so it's been a little bit of uh, time that I've been around. And for a good part of the previous decade, I've done uh, multiple startups. I've primarily worked in and around uh, startups uh, largely. And uh, this has given me the opportunity to work with a lot of uh, different products, seen a lot of different industries, ranging from AI, fintech, uh, telecom, uh, mobile gaming. And this time around with, uh, you know, I'm working on AppSmith, uh, which is a low-code application uh, builder platform. Uh, it's an open source project. And uh, yeah, with AppSmith, I get the option to work on an open source project and I get to work on a developer platform for the first time. So, which is uh, super, super exciting. Nice, nice. We like we like dev dev tools at LogRocket. That's what we're all about. Um, yeah, so t- tell us about it. Absolutely. Yeah. You said it's, it's like a, an open source uh, app building platform. Is that right? Yes, it's an open source. Uh, uh, I think the industry term now is low code. And gotcha. uh, so it's an, uh, it's an open source uh, application building platform. So where users can drag and drop UI elements onto a screen, position them however they wish to connect them to any API, uh, private or public API, any database uh, that they are running, MySQL, Postgres, whatever, and just simply publish their web app. And it's a, it's a great solution to, uh, it's a great way to kind of build a lot of the admin panels, dashboards, a lot of custom tools that every product team, every growing team requires just to keep the business and the engines running. Um, and the reason that we kind of started out with AppSmith was uh, by by trade or by education, I'm a distributed systems engineer. So I've spent a lot of time uh, working on, you know, in Java, Golang, Node.js. Uh, so while I can manage servers, you know, like lots of servers, I can manage databases. For the life of me, uh, HTML and CSS has always eluded me. That is a skill set that you know I am not very good at, and that's why we ended up you know starting AppSmith as well because I believe that you know there are a lot of other engineers as well who need to be building these these dashboards, these uh, you know uh, panels as well, but they may or may not be as comfortable using Bootstrap, React, uh, React Admin, um, or any other you know material UI solutions out there. And that's why we ended up building uh, AppSmith to to ease the pain and make it super super simple to get up and running with uh, with something like this. Gotcha, gotcha. So, just for our listeners, is, what what is the what is the output of AppSmith? Is it web apps? Is it like mobile native stuff? Like what what are you building? Oh yeah. So so uh, once you build an app on AppSmith and you click the deploy button, which is you know actually going live with it, uh, it's uh, it's a web app uh, today. Uh, and uh, so you can uh, you can share the link with you know your your team or you know anybody else who needs to use uh, the admin panel. So so we have authentication or security built in, 
so people so the way you invite somebody to a google doc is the same way that you would invite somebody to your appsmith app so because we deal with a lot of uh, you know uh, databases of private apis uh, so everything in appsmith is private by default so so by default only you can ever see your app everybody else even if they have the link uh, they'll get a 404 because they're not invited to it um, and uh, and on the flip side if there is any reason that you wish to publish your web app publicly on the public internet as well uh, like a google doc you can always make it publicly readable so so that uh, link or that uh, you know that web page uh, is then you know accessible as if you would access any other saas application itself gotcha gotcha yeah so that's i think it's a like a kind um a bit of a paradigm shift probably for most like web devs when they think about like building and deploying a little app um is there let's see so 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 if i if i build and deploy an appsmith app is does that have to go to like <clears throat> infrastructure that you guys are hosting is that the default no uh, so we ship a docker container which you can run on your own you know ec2 instance uh, azure vm etc uh, that has the entire AppSmith engine uh, running. Uh, and all the apps that you build, you can like literally just do it on your laptop if it's something that you want to do personally, or you can run it inside your VPN or inside your you know firewall itself if it's within your team. And uh, so so none of these apps are, you know, so, so while AppSmith has a cloud hosting platform, which you can definitely leverage where we manage and run the entire infrastructure or platform, uh, users can, you know, literally just download one single Docker container and run it on their own system. And all these apps, um, uh, you know, are powered by the AppSmith engine, which is running in the Docker container. And uh, and and yeah, and that's how you get all the shareable links. You get uh, all the authentication and other uh, other features that are powered by the AppSmith engine. Gotcha. So so what is what is the AppSmith engine all running? Is it is it like is it that is that auth layer the primary like server piece? Is is most of uh, the other stuff just kind of like a front end web server, or is there other back end stuff that the engine is is running? Yeah. So so uh, there's actually a a bunch of stuff that's running inside the engine. Uh, so when an AppSmith app is built, so there is no HTML or CSS code uh, that or JS code that is generated uh, underneath the hood. So we don't do any sort of code generation. Uh, all users are really doing underneath the hood is creating a, a configuration, a large JSON configuration, uh, which the AppSmith engine at runtime infers and then renders the UI, the HTML, CSS that the browser requires. So, so this translation from the, the, the JSON uh, configuration to the HTML, CSS is performed by the, the AppSmith engine. Uh, and the AppSmith engine, you know, that's obviously one of the primary things that it does. Uh, and then because, you know, the engine, uh, it's because we have an engine, it also does a lot of other things, like you said, you know, authentication, security. Uh, if you are making an invocation to an SQL database or a Mongo database, uh, all these uh, DB calls or API calls are not initiated through the browser through the user's browser or the client browser, because that becomes a security risk. Uh, because if you have to fetch data from an SQL database, you need credentials. And if these credentials get exposed to the client browser, they, you know, your database is at risk. Uh, so all of this is you know, 
these credentials are stored privately in the AppSmith engine. And the engine which is running on the server is the one that actually executes the SQL query. So you never have to plug holes in your firewall to expose your database to the public internet. You can literally have it the way you would run any other web app is you'd host your container inside your firewall and all you are really doing is just exposing port 80 or port C to the public world and uh, just get access to it. Nice. What just uh, from as a technical curiosity, like what what yeah. language is that kind of handoff logic in where, where like you know like the front end needs to make a query that re requires a SQL uh, right. query, for example. Uh, so we uh, so the front end is completely React. So we mm -hmm. are uh, huge proponents of React. So that's what the entire front end uh, rendering logic is. Uh, mm -hmm. That's where uh, that's written in React. Uh, the actual uh, query executions, the DB or the API query executions, uh, that is written in uh, Java Spring. So we use uh, uh, the newer version uh, of Reactive Spring, which is called WebFlux. Uh, so it brings in all the uh, the the niceties of Node.js of being non-blocking in nature, uh, of us being you know being able to write reactive code. Uh, while still leveraging, you know, multiple cores and you know, getting the the stability and the scalability that Java provides. Uh, Java, by the way, is an absolute beast of a language. Uh, so, so, so all the stability that Java provides. So, yeah. So, and uh, the backing database where all this configuration is stored is MongoDB. So, MongoDB is our uh, DB of choice. So, it's React, Java, and Mongo. Gotcha. So is Mongo where where those kind of those uh, configuration files live that inform how right. the front end gets built, or those are those saved in yeah. Mongo? Gotcha. Yes, exactly, gotcha. exactly. Gotcha. So so um, I'm just just kind of to kind of paint a more full picture here. Say say I have like UI elements that are conditional, like based on the I don't know if the user is in North America or like elsewhere mm -hmm. in the world, as an example. How does mm -hmm. how does the output I guess how does how does that like like say I change some user property how how would mm -hmm. I have that kind of proliferate through the app and change how views are entered is that stored in the database ever or is that just kind of at like render time those decisions are made right so uh, in AppSmith uh, everywhere that you can write English so you can also write JavaScript so any any button any UI any table anything and everything can be configured at runtime via JavaScript conditions. So you can have, you can say that, you know, Noel sits in North America. So show him like maybe a, you know, a, a red and white background, but, you know, Arpit sits in Belgium. So show him like a yellow and black background. So you can have this conditionally, you know, as a JavaScript code, you can just write that uh, where you pick the, the, the browser location and, you know, just determine what the background color is. Uh, in addition to that, you know, because we are a developer platform and a developer tool, we also ship with like an entire, you know, code mirror editor as well. So with async, await, promises, etc. So you can leverage, uh, you know, nearly everything that uh, ES6 provides. So we we are, I think, close to kind of supporting uh, the ECMAScript completely. So anything that you can that would be supported in VS Code or modern browsers, you can actually write that entire logic in um, AppSmith and the AppSmith editor as well. And you can control just about any 
property that you wish to uh, control and and so so it translates to uh, a much easier way of building a lot of complicated applications where you know you want uh, different ui elements to show for different users you might want to hide something for maybe a non admin user or uh, you might want to control the data itself uh, so on and so forth so so it allows users to you know rise above like a simple crud app uh, so a simple crud app uh, the first level would be to just be able to do uh, crud operations and by here crud when i say it mean create read update delete operations but you can then you know go one level up and start building more complicated workflows and say that you know because it's all javascript on the ui uh, you can control anything via javascript yeah nice nice very cool um you, you, you we touched on it briefly there but can you talk a little bit more about a little bit more about like the developer experience like what's this like if you're a dev working on, on an app built in appsmith uh, uh so just to clarify you're asking about a developer building an app on appsmith yeah like what's what's the developer experience like like say, how do i you know like okay. say i'm in there i'm editing how stuff looks or how behavior changes and i like save it how how do i how do i like work on my appsmith app right okay uh so yeah so uh, uh in order to get up and running with appsmith you like i said you just start a docker container on your, either your local machine or an ec2 machine and just go to that ip uh by default you start you know we'll ask you for an admin login so that's your you know that's the first login which is an administrator login and uh, you can, and you're literally just dropped into your first application itself uh, we have a bunch of templates you can you know derive from or you know fork from but uh, you can also just start with a you know if you're that kind of an artist who loves the blank page uh, you can start with that uh, the first thing that we've seen a lot of users do is uh, drag and drop ui elements to get your ui or get a you know a skeleton of the ui where you want a table in a certain place a button on the top a text field on the top so on and so forth uh, the next thing that you would probably do is uh, uh, connect uh, this AppSmith instance to your database or to your REST API, uh, and the, that involves just feeding in, you know, your SQL credentials, your Mongo credentials, or your API. If you have a private API, maybe some header parameters, so on and so forth. Um, and by and you know, and it's a very Postman-like uh, experience. So uh, for the API. Uh, for Mongo, again, it's a very consistent sort of very, uh, you can write raw SQL queries and you can, again, control the query, how you're constructing it. Because, uh, like I said, because AppSmith allows you to write JavaScript wherever you can write English, you can also intersperse JavaScript inside your SQL query. So I can say, you know, select star from users where ID equal to, and then I can have a conditional, uh, JavaScript conditional, which says, uh, you know, if user in North America, ID, you know, return one, else return two. So so you can conditionally return different data. And that's like a, a big, big superpower uh, because at runtime, uh, the JavaScript engine, uh, sorry, the AppSmith engine will translate this to a valid SQL query and then execute it, send it to your database. Gotcha. So, um, so you said you said the backend isn't running isn't running JavaScript though, right? So like, is that JS executed on the client? The client sends up a value to the server. The server puts yeah. that value into the SQL query. Is that what ends up happening? Yes, exactly, exactly. Gotcha. Uh, that that's absolutely perfectly it. Because so at runtime, the the browser client only sends the evaluated values, like 
the browser evaluates what the JavaScript would uh, value would be, return value would be, and just sends it to the server and says, you know, there were three fun uh, parameters in this function. Uh, uh, you know, parameter one is this, two is this, three is this. Uh, and the server knows which function you are talking about. So the function itself is never exposed to the client browser again. So again, the, uh, as an end user or you know, as a, a random user, you will never see what the SQL query is, or you'll never see, you'll just know that a query of ID one, two, three was asked to be executed with parameters, uh, you know, P1, P2, P3. And so, so the server is the one that just puts it all together, replaces whatever needs to be replaced, sanitizes everything, ensures there's no, uh, you know, excesses or any, anything uh, funny happening, and then sends it to your database for execution. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I guess is there is there any? Um, I'm I'm kind of I'm I'm considering the security like implications of this. So say I'm like a developer and I'm writing I'm 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 setting up logic like this where I like in returning records to a user based on the output of one of those JavaScript queries, right? So I say like, show me the, uh, I don't know, like the records where the user ID is bleh, like is the is the current user ID. Is that like, would that be exploitable by the front end? Because, you know, someone could go in and like modify what value ends up getting sent up there and how do you solve that problem? Right. So as, a, um, as an end user, so in the, uh, in the deployed mode of the application. So in the deployed mode, the uh, the JavaScript query itself, again, because it's, it's just executed by the uh, by the AppSmith engine running on the, the renderer engine, if you will, on the browser client. So there is no explicit uh, JavaScript that you can see in the, you know, you go to your sources or you look at the JavaScript console or et cetera you'll actually never see any of this JavaScript because it was all part of like one big JSON configuration that came at the beginning and which, you know, the renderer engine parsed. Um, so so as an end user, there is uh, like nearly zero chances that, you know, this JavaScript can be modified. I mean, you can't modify it rather uh, unless it's you know returned by the server itself. So you, at runtime, you can't modify this JavaScript. You can't modify, you know, what it evaluates to. You can literally just, uh, in in the worst case, you can open the network console and you can see that, oh, you know, uh, these are the three outputs of a couple of things that I did. So that's pretty much what you can do. Uh, but you can't really modify it or do anything to it. I guess, so what, what's preventing, again, say like maybe there's a, a simple use case for this, but say, say someone designs an app where like the user ID is being passed up in the request and then used in a SQL query upstream to fetch records back. Like what's stopping me from modifying the request? Or I see the request go through with, you know, my user ID, user ID two, and I'm like, I want to see who, what's user ID three's got. I modify the network request, put a three in there and send it up to the, the engine again. Does that, does that work? Or is there some mechanism that's preventing that from happening? So um, technically, yes, it'll end up working. Like if you literally copy the network console and, you know, you, you, you curl the, uh, you execute a curl with different parameters. So, uh, you know, in, in your terminal or in Postman or whatever. So you can technically, you know, change what is what the server is executing. And uh, uh, a couple of things that, you know, we recommend to app developers to ensure that this does not happen is A, obviously, you know, ensure that you are either 
uh, if the data is very sensitive or you know etc then you ensure that the app is not accessible itself to uh, you know outside your team so share it with people that you know that actually need to use the app and don't make it necessarily publicly available that's one the other is uh, uh, we also have you know you, you can add checks uh, where uh, you can say that you know uh, so so we also expose the appsmith user object uh, so you can compare maybe the email id with the id itself so you can have a check so even if you pass an id to or, or you change any one of the function parameters and you say oh you know what uh, instead of id1 let's pass id2 uh, you know in your sql query itself you can you know have like a check which says oh you know uh, the email id should match with or you know you can have a condition over there you can add some of these conditions that the user cannot modify because sure. it comes from your session it comes from your login itself it's in the back it's on the back end like it's it, it's it's, it's on the it's yeah so you're deriving it from a uh like from a session variable or you're deriving it from there so so it's possible for you to you know ensure that that does not happen um and the third thing that we recommend people is to uh or, or people users who have a much higher security uh, you know barrier if you are a fintech company or if you are a uh, you know health tech company etc uh, is to uh, you know secure the the api or the database through jwt or through uh, you know an oauth2 token itself which uh, appsmith will you know transparently sort of pass so so that token will never be exposed to the client it's just stamped on by the server before it uh is sent out so so a lot of uh, fintech or you know health tech uh teams end up using uh oauth2 or jwt tokens for uh stamping with with the user's login token and that's how they verify you know are you allowed to execute this query and they have like a couple of checks and balances at their end as well before the query actually gets executed in their database or their graphql or their api servers Gotcha, gotcha. That makes sense to me. So, so in in that that kind of that third step there of like using a, a token of some kind is that is that is that paired with the second case of like then in the in the app server like when I'm building the SQL queries and I, I reference the user object like is that is that just kind of building on that notion or is there some other step that I'm missing where like that token ends up getting sent all the way to the client and then back up to the server because I would think you would still need like if if the AppSmith app is what's in charge of filter, like, you know, instructing how to write a SQL query, it's still going to need to know that this user is actually authenticated to make a query of this form. Does that, does that make sense? So, um, yeah, so, so the, uh, so AppSmith is uh, basically executing any query that you've written as a user. So if you end up writing, let's say a query without a where clause or without, that doesn't take any parameters, AppSmith will just blindly execute it. So, so, uh, so as a developer, you still have to, uh, because it's a developer platform, AppSmith gives some guardrails, uh, but you know, if you don't, as a developer, if you don't follow some of these dev practices around, you know, am I, am I writing the right query? Am I opening myself up to SQL injection? Uh, you know, by default, AppSmith uses prepared statements, but you have the option to turn it off. So, but if you're turning it off, you're opening yourself up to SQL injection, so on and so forth. So that's one uh, aspect of it. So as a developer, you still have to you build an app the way you would build any other web app. 
you know a rails or a node.js app that you were building anyways uh to your second point uh the appsmith user object has a bunch of details you know your name your login name your email id uh, etc you know so on and so forth uh, there are a few things that the server also stores uh, against your login session uh, the jwt or the id token being one of them and querying or using or, or stamping that id token or sending that along with your query is just a matter of just using the you know dollar appsmith id token uh, that's all that you really need to put in somewhere in your query the moment the appsmith server sees this keyword this environment variable it just substitutes it with the user's id token and then just sends it out so you can use it in a rest api header you can use it in your you know sql query itself you can use it anywhere and everywhere um, it's just that that id token is never exposed to the client so the client will only ever see a dollar appsmith id token that's all that even including an end user end user will also never be able to modify this gotcha gotcha yeah that i guess yeah yeah ha having having a kind of user id object that's only um modifiable and accessible by the server i think kind of answers that um yeah like authentication question that i was yeah. i was chewing, chewing on a little bit there hey this is emily one of the producers for pod rocket i'm so glad you're enjoying this episode you probably hear this from lots of other podcasts but we really do appreciate our listeners Without you, there would be no podcasts. And because of that, it would really help if you could follow us on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to bring you conversations with great devs like Evan Yu and Rich Harris. In return, we'll send you some awesome PodRocket stickers. So check out the show notes on this episode and follow the link to claim your stickers as a small thanks for following us on Apple Podcasts. All right, back to the show. I guess my only other kind of big question on on this front of like querying data and stuff is could you guide me like walk me through an example of say i had a an, like a button that i wanted to like a user clicks this button it increments like a global counter that everyone sees like everyone's watching for updates on this how like how do i how would i wire something like that up uh great question uh this is not something uh appsmith supports yet this is def this is on our roadmap uh where you know, uh, sort of basically doing web sockets where, you know, you publish some data and other users uh, on that page automatically see uh, the updated information. Uh, as of today, uh, you would do it maybe like with a web app where you would store the incremented counter in your, you know, SQL, Redis, wherever else in some backend database. And on refresh, every user will see the updated value. So everybody is pulling the data uh, the server doesn't push anything the way you would do a server-side event or a uh, or a web socket for that matter. Gotcha. Could, uh, could you set this up is like on polling or something like every ten seconds? Like, is that? Oh is yeah, that, that that you can do. That you can gotcha. do. You can set and uh, because JavaScript, you know, full you know browser uh, JS is available. You can just say set interval and call the 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 yeah. function again, the query again, mm -hmm. and that will just keep. Uh, so a couple of people, you know, set up their. Uh, their televisions or with the monitoring systems and dashboards. Mm -hmm. uh, so they just put it up on the television with a, a set interval of, you know, five minutes. So the cool. dashboard just keeps getting refreshed. So you're just polling for new data. Nice, nice. What have, um, this is kind of, kind of changing gears a bit uh, here, but like what have some of the challenges that you guys have faced around building a, a 
a platform kind of built on open source. Has that been difficult in any respect? Um, I would say it's been different uh, because, uh, you know, traditionally, uh, you know, historically, I've almost, almost, I've almost always exclusively worked on closed source projects and uh, shifting gears to building an open source project, building uh, in the open, building in public. Uh, that was something that I had to, you know, learn, uh, unlearn some of the previous practices, learn new ones. And I think the biggest one uh, for me was uh, uh, whenever we work on any closed source uh, uh, project or a pro- closed source product, uh, we keep everything very, very secret. And uh, at the code, our issues, our bugs, future enhancements, so on and so forth, right? And opening this up to the entire world to see uh at first felt like you know people will know all the bugs we have people will know you know how crappy our code is or you know so there's always this vulnerability that you're exposing yourself to the entire world and that was something that took at least me personally a while to kind of get over get over that hump uh but over a period of time i i came to realize that building in public is one of the best things that we did because uh, because the open source community uh, and the community at AppSmith uh, that we've ended up building has been uh, incredible. Uh, people have been very forgiving of our mistakes. We've obviously made you know mistakes in our engineering, in our product decisions, and uh, people have been very forgiving of our mistakes and actually shown us better ways to do stuff. You know, uh, you know when, whenever we made a mistake, you know people are like, oh, you know what, it happens. Just you know, learn from this, you know, move on from here. Uh, in addition to that, they've contributed a lot towards, uh, you know, ideas about, you know, where they would like to see the product move, you know, the direction that they would move in. So we get a lot of, you know, product insights uh, from the from the community. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, and largely overall, just uh, our code got better. Like when we open sourced everything, our code just automatically got better. Because uh, a little part inside us, you know, that that little, in, you know, that lizard engineer, as I would call it, uh, that vulnerability, uh, you know, like you want to uh, write test cases, you want to ensure that, you know, when we, if your name is out there publicly attached to this code base, it better be the best thing that you've written, because uh, all your future roles, everybody, you know, you're going to look back and see that, hey, you know, I wrote that code. And uh, so our test coverage became better. Our design decisions became better uh, just because we had to do it in the open. Um, gotcha. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. Um, what, who have been like the uh, most common users for like, AppSmith? Like what, what kinds of apps do you see people writing? Right. Uh, so we see a lot of, I mean, one of the most common use cases, if you will, or the apps that we see are things like customer support dashboard, something that connects to Zendesk to pull your tickets and then connects to your orders database as well and your user database as well and shows it all in a single screen. Um, so a customer support dashboard like that with some workflows here and there, uh, user uh, user management systems, especially uh, KYC or know your customer uh, systems where uh, users need to be approved or their their plans need to be changed so on and so forth so user management system uh, so so these are a, a couple of like some of the most popular use cases uh, uh, although we have a very broad 
sort of usage, you know, people hosters on Raspberry Pi, right up to like clusters of servers on EC2. Uh, while we have a very broad range, uh, I think the sweet spot for us has always been, uh, you know, SaaS companies or products that have a lot of operations, uh, you know, overheads or operations or large operations teams, because that's when you get, you need to build a lot of admin panels, a lot of tools just to keep the entire operations team on the single page and, you know, running together. Gotcha. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Like internal tools like that seem like a, a, a pretty logical use case. Like you have these yeah. technical people, but they don't want to like spin up and maintain another web app. Like, okay, we can, we can do find something that does some of that lifting for us on the front end, point it to the back ends, let people manage their data. Exactly. Exactly. Nice. Awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah. What are, what are your guys's kind of, what are the, what are the plans for, we talked a little bit about like potential features, but what are your, what are your guys's kind of big next steps? What are you working on now? At right. Um, so um, over the next, uh, you know, few quarters or over the next year, if I will, um, uh, one of the things that we are obviously sort of focusing on very heavily is uh, is on stability and improving the performance of uh, the apps that are built. So by default, we want apps to be faster uh, and we want it to be more stable uh, so that, you know, people can start relying on AppSmith a lot more and a lot more confidently. So stability and performance is definitely one of the big areas that we're working on. Uh, the a couple of the other areas that we're working on is improving our uh, mobile responsiveness. Today, uh, AppSmith is largely geared for uh, desktop web, uh, but not really for mobile web or native mobile. So, so that's another big push that we are making in uh, that particular direction. Um, and and the third is supporting a lot more uh, use cases around. Uh, uh, you know, being able to handle larger amounts of data, so that there are a lot of users who want to do. Uh, so, so, so there are a lot of users between you know basic charting and you know a BI system like Tableau. So, but there's a big gap between uh, you know these use cases. So, we want to support more users who want to do a bunch of stuff around uh, you know handling and modifying this data uh, within AppSmith. Awesome, awesome. Um, yeah, are there any? Uh... Like, are there any components of AppSmith that are not open source that you guys have been like struggling or you're thinking about open sourcing or vice versa, like that are open source now that you're thinking about closing? Um, no, so, so uh, definitely, uh, you know, this is a commitment we made to ourselves and to the community that if we open source something, we won't close it again. Uh, so open sourcing something or anything for that matter is a very, uh, you know, a thought out decision for us. Uh, so one of the things that we the closed source things that we do at AppSmith is, uh, so we have a commercial or a paid edition as well. Uh, so which builds on top of the community edition and comes with additional security, audit logs, uh, you know, multi-factor authentication, so on and so forth. Uh, so, so that uh, code base is, uh, or those plugins or those extension points are closed source. Uh, as of right now, we are not really going to open source that. Uh, that's not on the, that's not on the cards. Uh, there are a couple of things, though, uh, that I would like to spin out of AppSmith from the AppSmith code base and publish it just as a library, uh, like a separate library. Uh, I think the biggest one for me was uh, a curl parser in Java. Like I just for the life of me couldn't find a good curl parser. And we ended up writing one uh, in Java for ourselves. 
So that's something right now it's like embedded. I mean, it's inside a class file somewhere in the code base, but I would love to kind of just take it out as publish it as a separate, you know, library or SDK, uh, which everybody can use. Uh, nice. Nice. That makes sense. Cool. Um, yeah, I think, I, I think I've kind of, I've got a pretty good handle then. Um, yeah. In our, I guess, yeah. For context, for everyone listening in our preparation for this podcast as well. Um, yeah. Uh, Arpit came and he like, we're talking a little bit about managing microservices as well. Is that an area you've mm-hmm. been thinking about a lot recently? Um, so AppSmith is the first monolithic system I've ever worked at. Uh, so till date, I've almost always worked on uh, microservices and web scale systems. So in one of my previous roles, uh, I was working on uh, uh, leading the team to design and deploy uh, a system that did 30 million transactions a day. It was a telecom uh, system. So I've almost always operated in such distributed systems. But coming to AppSmith, uh, we kind of made everything monolithic and this was a complete uh, you know, 180 uh, degree turn from what I usually do. And uh, a couple of reasons for that. Uh, the first is you know, uh, having microservices meant, would mean that as a, as a you know, user of AppSmith or a developer on top of AppSmith, uh, you'd then have to just the maintenance overhead of any distributed systems is multifold. Uh, so just having two services or three services does not mean it's thrice the effort. I think it's eight times the effort to just to get ensure that everything is running, nothing is dying on you, so on and so forth. Uh, so that's the first. We wanted the install experience, the maintenance experience for AppSmith in self-hosted scenarios to be very, very simple. So that's why we made it monolithic. Uh, the other one was for purely for performance reasons. So uh, if uh, I do not have to, you know, go over the network, I don't have to, you know, uh, you know, talk to like five different services in order to accumulate the data that the user needs. By default, you know, we'll be, you know, a little more performant, a little more uh, snappier for uh, the user. And uh, and the last bit was just ease of, uh, I would say, just just the ease of deploying. Uh, so while we support Kubernetes and uh, we support other uh, installation targets, and we also support clustering as well. Like if you actually reach a scale where you need to cluster, AppSmith can be clustered and we help users do that as well. Uh, that's something that we don't generally recommend as like the first use case. We, we expect people or we tell users that, you know, get to a point where you have about 200, 250 odd users on your 4GB instance, and then let's talk about scaling. Because uh, anything below that, it just makes no sense for users, uh, whether it's AppSmith users or just normal, you know, web app or SaaS developers to actually worry about a distributed system. Like one single Java jar or one single like Golang binary or whatever it is, Node.js, on a 4GB or 8GB machine, written correctly will go a very, very long way. So I'm generally of the opinion that, at least for startups, like find there are a lot of 20 problems that you probably have when you start doing a product. Distributed systems shouldn't be one of them. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. I think I think a lot of people have kind of, you know, marched into that camp over the last five or so years. Like that seems to be a trend. Is that, would you, would you agree? Um. I'm not so sure I agree with that uh, because uh, looking at the the popularity of Kubernetes, so Kubernetes being an absolute beast of a product, like it's it, like a lot of respect for the product and the developers, et cetera. 
But at the end of the day, it's really complicated. It's complex. It's complex to maintain that cluster, to run the cluster, etc. And the number of people who've you know started to use Kubernetes for running their blogs, uh, for running you know like you know their first you know MVP of their uh, of their uh, you know startup product or you know the SaaS product, uh, has always amazed me. That you know why are you wrangling your head around Kubernetes and its configurations? You know when you're not at that scale, like it's really really relevant if you are at a Google scale, uh, but if you're not Google scale or you're not even planning to get there anytime soon, there's no reason for uh, using Kubernetes. And that's why I feel that I'm not so sure I agree with you, but me, but maybe that's just a bias because I'm just seeing the other side of this coin where I see a lot of people just saying, hey, I want to use Kubernetes. I want to learn Kubernetes. And my first question to them is why? Like, Yeah. Yeah. Do, do, you, do you think, do you find usage like... The usage of Kubernetes in your head is that synonymous with microservices? Um, I would say that you know if yes, I would say yes because uh, you know if you're using Kubernetes to run a single pod, then I mean it's just like why are you even why? doing that? Right. right uh, sure. You know, if, if, unless you're running like multiple pods, you're trying to scale out your pods, you're running you know you know five services services on it. I don't think it makes a lot of sense for you to even, you know, be running on Kubernetes. You shouldn't be touching that that product mm-hmm. at all. That product's not for you. All you okay. should maybe be worried about is just, you know, SCPing or R-syncing your binary to your server and just restarting your server. Sure. Um, yeah, if, yeah. 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 I guess I'm I'm I'd always assumed, I don't really have any data to back this up, but I, I'd had, I had the impression that there were people who were using Kubernetes for like their small to mid-sized projects where they, wouldn't, where they would never even argue that they really have like a microservices architecture, but they're using it for like, you know, auto scaling and ensuring that like, am I database is here? And like, they're just using it for the like orchestration piece of, of managing like a much more like centralized monolithic app that maybe is like kind of starting to auto, need a little bit of auto scaling and stuff like that. Do you think that that is not very common? Uh, yeah, actually, I would say that I have seen uh, quite a few people. Uh, in fact, uh, AppSmith uh, supports Kubernetes as an installation target, and that's pretty much what we do. We don't really break it out into five different pieces. It's just we auto-scale it out and uh, you scale it back in uh, if required. Uh, so yeah, so a lot of people just use it for cluster management or you know just uh, cluster scheduling, uh, which I think is fine. Uh, there itself, again, I I personally, uh, but maybe this is just me coming in from you know because I I knew a world before Kubernetes, so maybe I'm just comfortable with that world, and I haven't become as comfortable yet with Kubernetes. Uh, you know, the same thing can happen with uh, you know with with. Amazon's auto scale or any cloud provider's auto scale, you know, by clicking a button and not worrying about too many configurations that need to go in. Uh, yeah, so, so uh, because with Kubernetes, again, you're just running those five nodes. Whether you have one pod or you have 20 pods, uh, you have like these five EC2 instances that are running your EKS cluster or your uh, Kubernetes cluster. And in case you need to scale down your EC2 instances or scale down your nodes, now you're doing two levels of auto scale where you're not just scaling your actual hardware infra you're also so so you're doing two levels of scale uh, which i think just overcomplicates the problem uh, you know, for the longest time i would you know again uh, to a lot of startup teams 
my advice i generally recommend that you know just deal with the simplest thing that you can or do the fastest quickest simplest thing that you understand and can do uh maybe with more newer or uh, age developers or maybe somebody who's just gotten into the industry and they've been introduced to kubernetes for them ec2's auto scale would be like oh my god like this is what is this i i i know how to do a kubectl command i don't know what ec2's auto scale is uh and i and i totally understand that opinion it's just that i believe the other way around yeah i think i think that that's fair yeah uh, i i yeah i think i think that there's there's a there's yeah we're kind of we're kind of on the on the periphery of a couple different topics here one is like microservices yeah. managing them in and of themselves versus like what is the correct level of abstraction in tooling like cloud infrastructure like are kind of they're right they're very uh, uh tightly coupled conversations but they are kind of like mm-hmm. they're kind of they're kind of different things um oh, definitely as well definitely. yeah yeah so yeah I, I i think i agree that like a lot of people do end up over tooling their simple apps and i think the, the thing mm-hmm. i'm curious about and i feel like uh, there's still a di- large diversity of opinions which i find interesting is like what is the correct stage of an app where you should be like, eh, let's just like do the overhead work to get this built on top of Kubernetes, even if it's still like a monolith right now. Like we have a database server, an app server, and maybe like one or two other managed services. We'll just send them up, we'll set them up with Kubernetes and then we can like deploy it everywhere. And I feel like a lot of devs are in the like, in that camp, well, let's just do it that way so we can like, so we're set up versus, oh, let's not worry about that problem right away. Um yeah, so I, I, I'm. It's, it's an interesting to hear an opinion, yeah. and I think I agree. Like now, just like use the ho- use the hosting providers thing, like as long as you can. <laughs> yeah, it, it'll yeah. be fine. Yeah, just build versus buy. Like just just use whatever. Amazon doesn't charge you extra for auto scale, so just 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 do that. And uh, yeah, in general, just use whatever is the simplest thing you know how to use. So so if you are comfortable with Ansible, then just go with Ansible or Chef or Puppet or whatever it is. Nice. Do you, where, where do you where what trends do you expect to kind of continue happening in this in this domain? Do you think do you think devs will keep reaching for uh, tools like Kubernetes and like these highly highly configurable complex tools, or do you find more and more do you do you think you see more and more people reaching for the off the shelf tooling that is simpler to configure? Uh, I think there will always be a trend towards simplification. Uh, that's what I or you know higher abstraction level. So you know. Amazon came in and abstracted the hardware away. Kubernetes came in and starts to abstract Amazon away, uh, or you know the virtual you know machines itself. Uh, I think you know uh, uh, some some other service or you know some other abstraction layer is waiting to be built, which just abstracts Kubernetes away, and you know Kubernetes then becomes or uh, becomes the de facto platform that everybody uses. The way Amazon just uses KVM or hypervisors under the under the underneath the hood and nobody really cares about it similarly i think you know there's an abstraction level that's waiting to be built uh, heroku was doing a great job or heroku is still doing like a great job at that layer where i just want to do a git push just do it for me don't worry don't don't bother me too much about it uh, uh, and i think the other cloud providers uh, you know amazon or azure or uh, etc are just trying to catch up to to that experience that heroku provided 10 years ago so, so I think Heroku did that ten years ago. Then there was a move towards complexity. I think the next decade will be defined by simplicity, because we've gone the Kubernetes way, and now we're just gonna build that next layer uh, of simplicity again. Awesome, awesome, cool. 
But yeah, we're running running a little bit low on time here. Um, I want to make sure. Is there anything else? Anything else you want to plug or you want to you want to talk about? Quick, send send the listeners to. Um, no, uh, nothing apart from uh, definitely check out uh, AppSmith on GitHub. Uh, so so that's a we are a great community. We are a great repository. We are always looking for contributors. So yeah, apart from that, not really much else. Nice, nice. Yeah, we'll, we'll get a link in the show notes as well, just so everybody's oh, got. Thank one. you. Um, Cool, cool. Well, yeah. Thank you for thank you for taking some time uh, to to chat with me here, but it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much, Noel. It was an absolute pleasure chatting with you, and thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, of course. Thanks for listening to Pod Rocket. You can find us at PodRocketPod on Twitter, and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks!